This is Emmy Award-winning creative and marketing executive John Ziegler. It's time to disrupt your business model. Welcome to the Nontrepreneur. Today, I sit down with Rajiv Karar, CEO of Zen Motion Pictures and president of Z Global Business. The content Rajiv has produced has served over 1.3 billion people in 173 countries. But more impressive than his incredible success he's had in the global entertainment industry is that every movie he's produced, every network he's launched, has been done with a profound respect for the culture and community in which it was being released. While he's passionate about his art, he always puts people and their culture first. Let's talk to Rajiv. Rajiv, welcome to The Entrepreneur. Thank you so much. Rajiv, I've always known you to be the perfect combination of passionate creative, someone who loves creative people, the creative process, but also an astute business leader. You've built incredibly successful brands across film and broadcasting, streaming, and digital platforms in 10 languages globally. You have produced, directed, written, and you're now currently the CEO of Zen Motion Pictures. Before I get into all of the questions I have for you, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself, maybe how you went from Delhi University to CEO? Sure, John. In fact, uh, it's been a very nice journey, and um, I'm blessed that I had a uh, a great amount of like i would say people to help me with this journey and since my interest in the audiovisual field was from the beginning i always loved cinema since i was in school and i always wanted to pursue it unfortunately at that time in india there were not that many film schools or such and uh, so of course i graduated from delhi university but my main interest was all, always in the cinematic arts and i got to pursue in some way or the other starting my career actually in advertising and which where i moved into putting together my own ad agency under which i had a lot of clients which were running nationally internationally and then from there i mean the calling was always inside me so I went and joined one of the biggest film production houses in india they had just gone public and uh, they needed somebody to structure a uh, corporatize their company and uh, one of the he is one of the biggest like film directors in india and so that was a, a, a great stepping stone because I had a 360 degree view of what the film industry was doing and how to make a mark in it. Then I produced films in that. I started one of the biggest film, uh, one of the biggest film schools in India, which is called Ye Whistling Woods, and uh, I was making television serials. And I mean, it was like you know a lot of activity for a because it was one of the leading production houses, and we had 10 film productions online. And in the pipeline, so that we were like always rolling. And from there, like then I got handpicked by the Z Network, and I first I was thinking television, okay, sounds good, but like is it? <laughs> but then finally I realized that that's is the audience you're catering to, and television was one thing; it was there in everybody's house. And then I took over the programming for ZTV in India, and had a bit of success in that, which got me. To go into the international markets, and that's when Z put me in charge of putting together international networks for them all across the world. And over the last 15 years, I've been I've launched about 14 networks for them in 10 languages wow. all across the world. So that has been a great learning. And throughout this, I've been blessed, as I said, having great uh, promoters, great managers who encouraged me, who made sure that uh, I was sculpted in the right way to always make my challenges bigger. 
so they as soon as you get used to something slightly and you got better at they used to change the plate and say okay now this you know <laughs> but in the moment you don't realize they're giving you an opportunity right i mean sometimes in the moment when they add more to your plate or they change the rules or they give you more than you think you can handle in the moment you're like what are they doing but when you look yeah. back they did you such a great service absolutely in fact sometimes it used to, there was some part when you used to feel overwhelmed by something but i always knew that this is the next stage in any case so i understood that one has to let go also of things you know you might like to stick on to something and see till it's fruitified but then i realized when i launched my first network i was thinking oh it's my network it's my network suddenly so said no no you have to launch another network this is over this this job is over there's nothing for you and what i built this up i've, I've done this and then suddenly i realized you can't stick to it you have to let people do what they have to do i was good at starting networks my job was not to run them all the time i had to put them up at a great start and somebody else will run it and i have to make the next in your network because that's more difficult also and i'm good at that and that's why the management always used to pick me out and say no you start this now so that's when i realized and after a couple of times first it was quite heartbreaking this is my baby it's my blood sweat and tears and you know you think it's your own but then you realize it's always going to be yours in some way or the other it doesn't have to be just because you're not managing now you can't call it yours and you are the founder of it that's good enough and let people take it forward now because you cannot limit it to just what you do now there are to be better people than you who come in and take the network to its own in it so i realized that is something which came with it and soon i was happy to know know that whenever the challenge got bigger i knew this is the new path now you know and one just had to buckle up the boots and go at it again you know well i was fortunate enough to get to work with you when you did such exactly what you're talking about and i was taken then with your leadership style your ability to be so inclusive when still you know measured against business benchmarks we still have to have a certain number of viewers and revenue and distribution you never lost sight of those benchmarks but your leadership style was always so inclusive have you got a mentor or a best boss where do you think you learned that bringing people in was going to be more beneficial than you know separating in fact uh, at some level all my bosses have been my mentors in a way you know <laughs> in terms of right from the first one to like uh, my last one and i'm always very appreciative i'm in touch with all of them and they still mentor me and uh, in terms if i have any i would say thinking roadblock or you know i do reach out just casually and you know is there something right and is the industry going in the right direction what is happening in the pandemic or whatever it might be and they all played a very large role because they were they shared their i would say vision and their ethics of how to get larger things done and uh, a lot of it has uh, like affected me and i've been able to i would say inculcate a work culture and a work ethic for myself you know before i even i can share it with the team i have to live it and dream it and with myself so i think they all had a great influence um, our chairman has had my past chairman had a great influence on me who like uh, actually mentored me in so many ways and you know ensured that uh, it's like not about taking risks is about how evaluate risks and because not taking a risk is going to be your biggest let down because then you are stagnant and that is like the worst thing not only in business but for a personal life also you know so that's where like and you know right from from a first boss who used to tell me like look life is a series of checks you have to figure out 
who's riding them what's the amount and how how are they giving it to you <laughs> you know from keeping it that simple to you know i was like it's like just from there to getting together to i would say bring in teams and how to build teams you know all of them played such a major part because they i mean gave me a window seat to what they were doing you know and which is why you know one always feels blessed because that kind of exposure sometimes is rare you cannot always see what what the sure. boss's views are but uh, since i've worked closer with the promoters directly i think i had had a very entrepreneurial vision in terms of leading any business so while though i do understand the challenges of uh, a business what they might be but there are a lot of people skills which are involved to build anything and that's something goes without saying to all my bosses like some part of them has been in part of building me which is so impressive because you're the ceo now and one would think that with the amount of success you've had launching motion pictures over 2000 hours of scripted and unscripted programming that you would reach a level where you you know it all you've you know you you've seen every obstacle you've you've overcome every problem but still at your level you're still reaching out to mentors and and giving a gut check am i doing the right thing is this the right decision because i think so many ceos kind of insulate themselves and say i'll make the decisions and i'll i'll tell you what the right and the wrong is uh no it's like always a process as to one has to keep learning it's all about knowing things and i mean sometimes not only the mentors you know you you reach out to any i would say community members also to get the ideas and what is happening and you know because it's a largely about awareness you know and there's no cap to awareness because it's like <laughs> you know you got this is a constant journey you know it's like you are always know what's happening what what to do how people adapting how businesses are adapting you know and it's like you reach out to i would reach out to anybody the other thing you said was and your entrepreneurial spirit now you've worked for an organization an industry so you've had a boss you know what was the chairman but you've always had an entrepreneurial spirit and that's what this podcast is about that's why we call it the non-entrepreneur because if you can act like an entrepreneur when you work for someone else they're going to give you more opportunity just like they did with you you treated every one of those networks that you launched like it was your own personal network and it's that yeah. entrepreneurial spirit where do you think that comes from do you think you've always been an entrepreneur but you've always just been successful inside organizations i would say since i started off also as uh, as an entrepreneur because i always w- wanted to do something of my own and you know it somehow like uh, that spirit is like inbuilt you know i think that comes from like taking ownership of everything which you whatever you're doing it's just something that i mean you know it's uh, I, at least for myself i can say i've always pursued that and when i joined organizations it helped me because i always understood the pressures they were also dealing with because even i would i mean might be at a smaller scale i have also had to deal with them so i could imagine now they are dealing 1000 times more than what i was dealing in so <laughs> i have more empathy towards what my boss must be going through because i had a little bit of experience in how even at a smaller level what i was going through so it's something which you know an entrepreneur mindset is something of taking ownership of all your actions so it's it's not necessary that you have to own a business to be an entrepreneur vision or it doesn't have to be just like you know that big the owner of a company or the owner of a organization it's not that and entrepreneur spirit is about like having a 360 like degree impact on everything around you and be responsible for it 
You know, as long as you have that, you'll have an entrepreneurial vision and mindset. You know? that's, a, that's an absolutely beautiful way to put it. So let me ask you, you had that entrepreneurial spirit, you joined industry and, and organizations. Did you have to learn to take risks or did you have to learn to not take risks? Wh- which were you more designed, you think, as an entrepreneur to do? I'm ready to take that risk or wait a minute, let me measure this and see if this is the right risk to take. So I learned this step by step. In the earlier, I was hesitant towards taking risks because I was lesser experienced. So sometimes it looked like, okay, fine. If things go wrong, I'm putting resources on somebody else's resources on the line and I have to be accountable for that. If it's my resources, okay. I mean, I can be responsible, but if I'm putting somebody else's resources, how's it going to work? And that's when I realized that uh, risk can be mitigated when you have a staged procedure in what you are executing. You cannot eliminate all risks. So it's not, it's not about eliminating that, but you can be sure from instinct that whatever you're pursuing, you can focus sharply on what your belief system is correct and able to do it so that even if things don't go your way, you'll, you'll be able to adapt or correct or even let go for that matter. And with the, lessest, with the least amount of impact on the resources. So when you're comfortable with that, I think you are able to get ahead with you know, whatever you want in, in your challenges. And some, once, this was in the beginning, and later on, then once one gets used to some of the industry ropes, I realized your research is a very big tool. And it not only helps to give you a landscape vision, it also helps you to find your sweet spot in what you're doing, what your venture is doing, what your network is doing, and why is it that it will work. And you can come together with the, I would say, kind of an understanding that even when you are in the path of risk, you have more chances to win because you are aware of everything else also. So, you know, so that's something which comes across when every organization is trying to put up an innovation. Risks are becoming part of life. I mean, it becomes part of the path. So it's not about the risk. It's about how are you, where are you investigating? What are you doing? And I think that builds up your instinct and confidence. Over time. Yeah. And that helps you overcome the challenge. I won't list all of these. I'll put them in the show notes because I, I want the listener to understand exactly how accomplished you are. But from launching Living Foods, Z Mundo, Z World, Z Russian, I mean, the list goes on and on and on of, of the networks that have your fingerprints all over them. Do you think you learn more from a brilliant, successful launch or producing a show maybe that was a failure and you, you thought it was going to be good, but the consumers just didn't embrace it? Do you learn more from your successes or your failures? Actually, you learn from both, you know, in terms of... Uh... Like the lessons are different, and uh, but you learn from both because from your successes only like teach you, I think, slightly lesser than what your misses do because your successes are already validating some of your actions. So it's like, you know, but you know that the same formula is not going to work again. It's not like, it's like good, you'll have to do something more for the next one because things have changed. And your, with the failures and your, your misses actually teach you what you have to overcome immediately now. So they, in terms of your personal building, they definitely mean more. They definitely give you a better idea. This is the reason why this should have been done in a separate way or whatever it is. There's no way to change things. It's not about repenting anything. It's more about like, you know, I mean, that's done and done. It's what, 
water below the bridge, but this is it. I mean, my next one is not going to, I'm going to make sure that what I learned from it, there are going to be quadruple times of benefits of what I've learned in the next one. You know, so you ensure that. So in the longer terms, the the misses do, like the failures do teach you much more in a long term perspective. <laughs> I had a, a previous guest on the podcast said, it's not a failure, it's data. Yeah. You know, so it's what you do with that data that builds you and, and, and you learn That's, from. Absolutely. I know how I would describe your leadership uh, style. I, I already have. I think you're one of the most inclusive, dynamic leaders I've ever had a chance to work for. How would you describe your management style? Actually, uh, I have a very open architecture, you know, which I follow. You know, that's something which I feel that means that the full engagement of the teams have to be there. And when I say engagement, I mean you have to be engaged with your team's life issues also. It's not about just what they do at work and what they do. It's like because the real working comes from like when people are working from the heart and soul and they, are, they know that the place of work where they, where they are putting the best years of their life does care about the life, you know? And this is something which I think key to my management style. I mean, I would not, I would like to know, like I, I don't want to be so, I would say, inside their personal issues as much as they want me to, but in terms I would still not, would not like them to feel that they cannot come up with any issue to understand that how can we overcome them, even from being their professional team member who's guiding them. And that's what I feel. That's what I feel by open architecture. Like, there's nobody should feel anything about just, just not about just walk in the door and like, let's hammer it out. Like, I've got a stomach ache or the data is all wrong and I've goofed up or whatever it is. You know, it doesn't matter. That's what I feel my management style is. Well, and I've got to tell the listeners, and I hope you don't mind. I, I hope this won't embarrass you. I mean, Rajiv, you and I haven't spoken in a couple of years. I mean, we work together, but, you know, time goes by. We both do our own things. And I want the listeners to know that within the first 60 seconds of us reconnecting, you asked about my daughter. That just kind of shows the genuineness of who you are. So do you have any advice you would have given yourself 10 years ago when you look back on your career? It sure seems like you've done a whole lot the right way. <laughs> yeah, I would like to say I would ask, I would tell myself to be more quick to change. You know, wow. that's something I would like to tell myself about 10 years ago, because what happens is even though we think uh, we are like, in the process of improving ourselves, we generally tend to spend more time in the process, you know? And uh, that's something which, like we think, oh, it takes one, it takes six months for a corporation to change. It takes say, three months for a division to change or whatever. But that's not true. I feel like now, no, no, you start today. You start practicing today. The rest of it we'll see by what time it'll happen. Right, you know, right. So if, like, forget about it. Like, you know, let's just work this out. Now, this, this is the way we do it. And the rest will keep happening. We'll keep adapting. So that's one thing I would tell myself, you know. Love it. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. As a leader now, do you think there's anything specific that CEOs should be paying attention to? I mean, obviously, you talked about knowing your people deeper than just their job descriptions. But is there anything else, advice you'd give to a new CEO that he should, or she should be paying attention to? A new CEO should, I mean, it's all about their vision and what they are imbibing in life because it trickles down to everybody in the team. And so they have to be cognizant of their entire self-actions and self-life goals, which actually really represent their true character. And that actually trickles down to everybody in the team and they're able to see that which are the values for them to look at their uh, team leaders in. And that's something if they can not just put a great picture, just be 
true to what they're doing and that will automatically trickle down as a character value to the entire team over a period of time and they will even subconsciously imbibe those values i would say reciprocate in the same way to their fellow members and overall it, it builds a very amazing environment you know it builds an amazing environment for anything to fructify as you see the biggest companies like you know if you talk to like even sundar pichai or anybody for that matter these are people who are like always i mean their life itself is an example of how everybody is why they look up to them it's not about you know they're not like trying to give uh, i mean disclosures every day but they're like actually lead, just leading the life i mean you know what it should be it should be inspiring and that's what is very important for any leader ceo or anybody that's very important you know? i so couldn't agree more this was years ago we were in a meeting and you gave a presentation and i don't remember every slide of the presentation obviously but i remember the overarching concept was we are all connected we are all connected and when i reached back out to you and asked you to join me on the podcast i saw that that's still a mantra of yours today we are all connected can you talk about that and why that's been such an important value proposition for you yeah i mean this is a it's a life philosophy i do feel the connections in everything that happens i mean not only to my life but in life in general everything there is a connection there is going to be an action and a, re- a reaction and it will trickle down to somewhere and how it gets affected to you some of the connections we can see some most of the connections we cannot see but that doesn't mean there is not a connection so if you know if you know the butterfly theory so it's something like that i mean when itself like you know life itself is such a miracle and that in itself shows that how connected we are as human beings when you connect at that level you are actually truly connecting to something larger in your i would say life purpose and which overall will have an effect on the life reacting back to you it works as a life philosophy and it automatically goes to the work philosophy because they are not separate you know certainly more than ever they are not separate they are separate you, yeah you have been involved in or launched companies in india the americas europe africa the middle east asia pacific how do you lead such diverse cultures how do you apply your leadership style from a different continent different cultures how do you how do you lead diverse cultures it's very interesting you know because uh, it's uh, i mean one of the best learning experiences i've had to give you like in a nutshell how diverse people are and how s- similar they are also one of the best things i have found myself is i have deeply respected all the cultures where i've worked in and i was blessed that they gave me the opportunity to create an entertainment product in their language in their rights and you know in their land that's like it's like bringing they brought me to the house and when somebody brings you to the house how you behave how you entertain them is how i looked into it and it's something which um, one is always so grateful for because you learn about life from scratch i mean it's so fascinating so when you actually get down to it you're like trying to learn oh this is how it's done so you you have to understand the culture right down from its grassroots not just like uh, you know i would say at the working level i would say their emotions their like i would say values and all are so different yet similar and what captures their imagination is different yet there is similarities to it and how they bond with each other how they communicate is fascinating that's why like you know i mean launching a network in arabic having a full arabic team 
as a totally different thing than launching something in Germany with a full German team because totally like two like, like different things. But the amazing part is there is amazing value system in each of these cultures. And from what I learned was like, I ensured that all the employees in, when I say employees, I mean all the team members in each of these countries, we're all locals. So the environment was local. So that was something which was very important to me. Like I was the only non-local person in the company in there. Because I didn't want the company to have a character which is not local. So, and I was very clear from the, my earlier lessons that when I create any business or a network anywhere in the world, the ownership of the network has to be in that country. So Germans should be feeling like, oh, I own Z1. Wow. Arab, the Arab world should know that we own Ziaflam. It should not be like, oh, there's some multinational company which owns this. No. They should know it. No, this is the company like, it's an Arabic company. Ziaflam is an Arabic company. Z1, Mundo is a Spanish, like, it's a Latin. They, they should feel that and it has to be done truly. It cannot be done superficially. So it is the core teams which actually joined me in this process and soon it became their baby and it became their product and they led the communication and they made everything happen. So that has been very, I mean, amazing. I think one of the best part of like doing this has been knowing so many cultures straight down from Russia to Latin America to Germany to, I mean, the works, you know, and totally blessed with it. Like uh, I, some one of the reasons I feel very uh, happy about is that, I mean, Today's date, somebody tells me, okay, let's go to like wherever, like, and say, okay, you got to start this. Says, no problem. I can pick up a bag. And- <laughs> <laughs> so you can't even pick a country that you haven't already started a network in. <laughs> yeah, and it's totally, I won't face any problem. And, you know, just start, go start up. And, and I used to truly practice this job. Like I used to go down to the grocery shops where the local went down to the grocery shops. I never stayed in a hotel when I used to come. So... Even though I used to stay in some place, wherever, like, but I used to always shop at the places where the local population shops, not at the popular ones. I used to go to the local transport. How do they move? What do they do? How, what is that making them take? What are the young people doing? What do the women do? Check out all the pictures and the magazines which they read, you know, things like that. I mean, there's, there's no end to it because, but I used to always ensure that. So when I used to go to research any of these countries, I used to spend two weeks more so that I can live the life and live it like, you know, get down to there, cook what they're cooking, eat what they're eating, so that you get that real thing. I mean, you know, you actually living it and knowing, okay, this is what it is. This is why they like this spice and this is what they watch. Of course, I knew everything what they watch on television because that is available on research. <laughs> but, you know, getting to know them as an audience. And of course, like, you know, there is no end to research, but the instincts get built up when you truly live their life. So... I remember when I first went to Saudi Arabia, like my management thought I was bonkers. They said, how, how will you put up something in Saudi Arabia? But I said, it's the biggest audience. We have to. And in today's day, it is one of the, the most successful networks I have, have put up is available wow. in Saudi Arabia. You know? So it's just like a matter of taking that leap of faith and immersing yourself in the culture. And the rest, I think, just comes to you. You are such a positive spirit. You just are. You, you, I, when we work together, you were very encouraging and that's just your nature. But there are times when you have to deliver bad news. You are the boss. You've got to give criticism. You've got to, how do you do that? If you've got to deliver bad news to, to one of your department heads or to a producer or director, what's your, do you have a, a method to do that? Actually, you know, I just kind of would term it as a parachute so that it does not uh, leave them 
high end dropping you create genuinely some kind of alternate opportunity if you can if you can't then admit it also that you mm-hmm. can't but lead them to some direction in terms of how things can from now they can lean to and look into or what whatever you can do and in some other times you can also lead them to genuinely find something better so it's not only just giving the bad news it's like about giving them new direction that's how i look how i look at it what what a great way to turn you know what's a, a terrible situation into something that may have a silver lining yeah i mean that's i mean that's something which i mean it has to be done most of the time but i mean that's how that's how i've always looked at it like that you do work in an industry of hits and misses yeah. and research can tell you all day long this show is going to flop don't do it but there's something inside of you that goes wait a minute i i really believe in this how do you know if an idea is a good idea or not <laughs> there is of course one trust one's intuition like you know because that like let's say the your life energy comes from there so sometimes you might have a lot of people not believing in it but if you believe in it in some way or the other you will find a way to let's say make it happen and sometimes it might not reach to the level which you have like made it reach but then as it is it's all data then you know <laughs> you move <laughs> to the next one <laughs> and i take a lot of counsel so in terms of that is very important because that helps you in uh, you know sharpening your focus and helps you eliminating the unnecessary to really reach what you want to make a hit so like i would trust my writers i would trust my producer i would trust these guys fully because if they say look if you make a period drama it's not going to work because all the six period dramas have failed and the writer says look nobody has created this drama okay this is some period drama which the world has not seen and this this something which will change the game so we'll win the race and say you know let's go with it because even though the data might be not that inclusive but at an ideal level actually nobody is able to do this because this and we have something great and if we won't do it who else so then we go ahead and put everything in it and do it <laughs> you know nice. so really like that it's a collective intuition also and collective spirit you can smell it from your team members as they hard into into it or they still sitting on the fence so when you get everybody on the page after that you don't care about what's happening and then it's okay brilliant <laughs> we're all in it together As you look back on the body of work you've produced so far and I'm not necessarily talking about a single show or movie that you've you know produced or launched but a professional moment have you got a proudest professional moment I mean it's not like one moment because it's like uh, you know there's so many of them but yes one thing I do feel great about is like I was able to bring 570 million viewers with these 14 networks across the world these networks were created and now they are catered to such a big audience base and uh, and that gives me great satisfaction you know like in terms of because of this recognition the folks gave us the 100 most innovative companies in the world award because so it was a great moment like you know congratulations <laughs> yeah thanks it was great and i just felt like and I, you know, the whole team was so happy that i mean this is a landmark you know because i mean reaching from like you know it was a 700 million network now is it's a 1.3 billion audience base so that was a huge thing so being a part of that is like totally overwhelmed by the amazing it was just really one of the good times yeah and i don't want to spoil this moment i want i'm so proud of you for that accomplishment but for every win not for every win sometimes there are losses have you got a toughest moment something you look back and you went that was really hard to go through 
there have been many you know it's not like because sometimes you had to shut divisions you had to like shut down some networks also because they could not i would say handle their uh, growth path so they are sometimes and you had to like say let go of things and i said there is great amount of uh, i would say learning in that because when you have to let go it is a good time to understand that they, it is you're making space for the future so even when you are i would say in a bad moment it's still like you know it's just like cleaning your closet i mean so you're just making something for you to come in so i love that make space for the future this has to end but all i'm doing is making space for what is yet to come absolutely so i've always believed in that so there have been tough times but i said like you know you tend to always think too much in the in that moment which is actually just can be very overwhelming but you don't have to worry about because life is constant and it will other things will come so that's how i've always faced it you know so something bad has happened okay too too bad we just move on to the next one better things are going to happen well, that's a wonderful mindset and you almost have to have that mindset right now how has covid affected you affected production affected the company it has been uh, like very challenging to be very frank because of course the we are all in it to like together industry so we all feel the pangs so nobody is separated from it so it's not something that anybody is isolated in their own boat it's like everybody is in the might be in different boats but we are in the same storm and this is not going to like uh, it won't be easy overcoming this because there are going to be habitual changes in the industry so while from a producing perspective yes i do see like there might be some i would say extra deployment of resources some cost factors affecting and the other side is there is going to be a huge i would say pent up appetite for content which is also coming and as soon as we have a resolve on the covid issues this will all build up to a larger base of engagement which is going to happen worldwide so that's something which is some time away but this as you know in production people work for two years in advance like when you want to sure. people are working on 2022 releases right now right. that's how it works so currently also all this happening i mean not only our industry the world is in a reset button when i said reset button it's like you're changing your life priorities also as we speak john because suddenly you know like i mean i'm more worried about my family's health than anything else at this moment like you know even though they might be great business issues that is a big i would say behavioral change which will come in people and this i say for all industries and of course in our industry we would feel that this behavioral change will also somewhere have an impact in how people engage with content now how they will look at the shows how they will look at the films and how they will look at engagement the methods they will get engaged in but content is platform agnostic they will consume everything whether it's on the mobile or on streaming or on theaters or whatever they will consume everything so at a long term level we will come back with it with like let's say greater spirit greater content but the time within that is a quite a crucial time for us to reengineer ourselves right. and reengineer our personal self the companies which we work in the companies which we work within and i have a fun positive outcome of this i do feel would be there will be a bigger community mindset certainly people do realize that 
it's not only me like if i can't think about just my company and think the world will become all fine but if the whole world is not getting fine then even i'm not going to be fine so somewhere this will trickle down to organizations to managers to people who roll out their day to day it's already there i mean in today's day you already feel that you know the people do have more empathy towards the fellow community member because sure. you worried, you're genuinely worried so that i think is a very good thing it's brought us closer in a way even though it's for the wrong reasons or bad reasons no i know i i completely understand and you've always kind of been that level of empathetic leader and and intuitive creative leader but i wanted to ask you how do you ensure that your leadership style your inclusion style your your management style trickles all the way down to the actual set to the production because you're not there every day on set you're not there every day but the directors and the producers that you've hired the actors and the crew that you've allowed your team to put together how do you ensure that that your inclusive culture is permeating every single layer of the shows that you produce and the movies you produce so i mean it's about being genuine so john when i say being genuine is like people can see through everything at the genuine emotional level they can generally feel through no matter what you say or do they can generally feel you what what is happening and that's something which like let's say if i have to how do i make it trickle down is the immediate people who work with me uh, the team composition itself is the definition of how the team has to work so they have to carry the burden on with their style themselves now it's not that they have to carry what i am telling them to do they carry it on themselves how they want to do it and it does have to have its own triple effect because if i am genuine with my core team members they are more than necessary bound to be genuine with their extended members and then they are more to be extended to right down to the dot and i've always had one to one connection with right down to the last person on the floor also because i've done those things also even i started working on a set as like you know the script boy and things like that so <laughs> i understand the job it's a, and i never like to go out of the action so i might not be able to be there most of the time but I always give give visit whenever i can always part of the process i don't like to interfere where and not you required but like there's one show of mine which we were like we were sh- shooting the 500th episode i mean so i said wow that's a landmark wow <laughs> it's a 500th episode so i said like let's have a party of course we have to, i mean and i said the party has to be on the show itself i mean the show has to have the party because i mean no how many people know you know that we have oh, had wow. yes so then i realized that some most of the team had changed in the in this entire journey <laughs> you, sure. know, and, you know but i still found that they were all as equally enthusiastic as we were making the first episode then you realize that genuinely i mean it, i mean our purpose of putting that show trickles down to the last person so even the dress man is also ensured that no no this is the style which has to go in now we've already used this so they all have a say and they own the uh, i would say the show themselves that's got to feel amazing to have created a culture that lasted for 500 yeah. episodes and however many years that must be yeah and from audience is one of the most popular shows we have even right now as we speak is still going on because people love it i mean there's something it's something it gives you an update on the film personalities fashions and trends so everybody wants to know who wore what where and <laughs> so like so at once somebody said well, isn't the show getting too old and all so should we do something else so suddenly we like uh, for one 
on that slot we changed the we put another show suddenly we had this audience writing back what happened to my show what's wrong with you when the show go <laughs> so we had to immediately bring it back wow having like you know so the audience was just not ready it's not about old they love the show so those are the kind of things which like the team genuinely takes pride in in terms of you sure. know having created something successful which they feel the audience connect with so i have celebrated all my wins with the, everybody so even if we heard like oh the rating has gone up by 70% so everybody in the team knew the rating has gone up by 70% we all go out and have a drink or whatever like you know love it like that it just like keeps you human <laughs> so you hire great teams what do you look for in a creative beyond their resume because some creatives haven't yet had the chance to produce a great amount of work or this incredible body what do you look for in a new hire whether it's any position at all you know i look for the like what's their instinct and what makes them tick that's what i look for personally because i mean they are great producers they're great writers then i i try to put a finger on what is it that makes this person tick is it like it could be anything it could be like he's fond of dogs or he's fond of shoes he likes the color red i don't know <laughs> you know like uh, i just like it tells you more about what the personality is you know not just what as a professional but as emotionally what is the emotional quotient of the person and i like to know that so most of the time i try to dwell into that more so i like to reach their life philosophy if i can what really makes them happen what makes them take i mean i guess that's how i, I hire them you know so yeah you, you determine whether or not they're a good fit for your organization a good fit for your leadership style you know it's like you know i mean i would not i don't look at just in terms of finally you know they are over a period of time i have realized that you are working for collective goals you know like collective goals are and now how do i marry my team members goal with the collective goal so i would not hire somebody whose personal goal is not actually collaborating with the collective goal of the company so sure. i mean even though the person might be nice but if what they want to do in life is not matching with what the company wants to do currently i would not try to choose that person because the journey would not somewhere be harmonious right so but once like and sometimes you get the right things in terms of you find the right person who has the same kind of i would say collective goal vision of what the organization is out to do then you know largely no matter whatever challenge might come even if the person is lesser experienced you know he'll overcome the challenge i was going to ask you that would you take a lesser experienced person with just the perfect attitude fit over a more experienced accomplished person whose attitude might not uh, jive with the organization no it would because that's the experience can actually be you can actually roll it out and you can plug the remaining gap in it you know that's something sure. which you can get in a better assistant director to help out what is the i would say where the experience is lacking and control that part but you know generally next to secure okay, let's make a great series and he's got the series arc worked out let him do that and let him do that that's how you make it happen you gave so much you know credit and respect to your mentors but along the way we work for bad bosses sometimes no names but have you got a story from maybe a a boss or something you learned from from the way somebody managed something you said i'm not going to manage it that way you know in terms of uh, had somebody who actually when i look at it now and uh, while i was going through it was like i was like tormented i was to feel you know and but now when i look at it it was my biggest i would say management learning that how because he 
was driving me to ensure what would be impossible to achieve. But because of that, I mean, I made so many checks and systems in my entire extended management that I only made sure that I can get more verticals as watertight, much better than what I was doing earlier. So yeah. he might have been the worst, but he turned out to be the best for me <laughs> <laughs> because I was able to do that. And sometimes it happens that you at that moment feel that this is not the right, you're going through a lot of, I would say, mental pressure, torment or whatever it might be. But eventually, I promise you, eventually those will come as like your winning moments of how you are able to manage pressures in life. You will be able to learn from them so much better than I would say next time something of that nature happens, you will quickly be able to overcome it very fast. You know, so, sure. so nothing called like an unlearned lesson. You know, you will, even they, they were what they were, it didn't matter. <laughs> I made the best of it in the long run. It's great. On The Notchpreneur, we talk about trying to empower employees and enlighten leaders. And you're one of the most enlightened leaders that I know. Do you have somebody that inspires you? Is there, is there a public or private figure that, that you look up and you go, wow, if I could be as intelligent, as enlightened, as forward thinking as this person? I mean, there are a lot of people, you know, whom I like uh, admire and this, this is endless. But at my personal level, like, you know, I, I mean, I'm, from a life perspective, I'm very inspired by Nelson Mandela, Mahatma Gandhi. These are the people who like really, I mean, their, their life inspires me a lot, you know, I mean, in terms of uh, what they stood for, what, what they did. And, and they were revolutionaries in terms of changing the world. So work-wise, I have some great film directors who I really look up to, like Andre Tarkovsky, Eisenstein, you know, like who actually wrote the grammar for a language which is right now the most commercialized art form in the world. So I look at these lives as something like truly inspiring that it's something which, I mean, they charted and created things where nobody would even think in the wildest imagination that this could be done and they just did it. Right. I mean, you know, so, I mean, that guy, otherwise, of course, in my work life, there are many, you know, I'm very inspired by a lot of work leaders and great sure. leaders of nations and all, you know, so all of them, all of them have a great amount of, learning to share from, you know, like, because they have their own styles and how they manage people, countries. But yeah, these are the kind of people I look up to, read about them. Brilliant. I used to ask uh, folks what they wish they had more time to do. In COVID, it's kind of giving a lot of people time to do stuff. So yeah. I'm going to ask you both parts of it. Is there something you wish you had more time to do? And or is there something you've started doing during COVID that you weren't doing before? Yeah, in fact, I wish, first part of the question, I wish I had more time to write my scripts. That's something which, uh, like, I would, like really would want to do more. And secondly, in this COVID, I have written a short film, which I want to shoot soon. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. So I want to get that going. I'm just trying to get uh, some of the locations on that and as soon as I can get permission to shoot. So this is a short film, but I want to make it. And it's something which I, like, I'm looking forward to. And in this, I'm like, I mean, I don't know, I've done a lot of reading. I mean, that's something which I have been very happy about. And uh, I've been doing some online courses to actually find out more about how things lead and which normally which I never had. So, and then I'm writing an article for a newspaper. So that column I've started, you know. So like, when do you sleep? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's enough time to do most of things, and like some then there's some startups which wanted a consultancy for me to start up. So I said, okay, let's get in. So somewhere down the other, like you know, I mean, things have been starting to do what I can sit at home on a computer and do. And so let me start reading. Let me start doing this. Automatically, these led to other things. Any books you'd uh, recommend to the listeners or any, any, like, it doesn't have to be something you're currently reading, but are there any books that you go, you know what, this should be on your bookshelf? In fact, uh, Chasing the Light by Oliver Stone's biography is something which like, uh, I mean, because I'm a cinephile, so I like that, but that's something which is currently I'm reading and that would be a good book, like, you know, because uh, he's, some, he's done some of the great work and he's a quintessential American director. And Love it. I want to talk about camp. We call it setting up camp to create culture. And we've, we've identified these five tenets as culture building, non-entrepreneurial tenets, creativity, awareness, mindfulness, passion, and people. You are a creative being. It's just, it, it's who you are. How important is creativity in your life? See, it is the, it is your center of innovation, of your self-innovation. It's like you are everything because of it. And it surrounds you all the time, you know, like even when you were a child, when you first learned to fly a kite to now you might write Oscar winning film or whatever it might be. (laughs) It can be anything, but it's the heart of what it is every being. So, you know, it's absolutely center to everything around you and whatever you're feeling, because as I said, even if your life philosophy is also centered around what makes you creative, because that's how you'll be able to impact things. So I think it's central to the being. It comes so naturally to you. Do you believe that someone can learn to be creative? Do you believe that every being is creative? They just stifle it. If I'm an accountant, I'm not creative. That's what I tell myself. But do you believe that everybody has creativity in them? Yes, everybody has creativity. Like this is something which I truly feel because as I've experienced it, I mean, I mean, I know from first hand that I'm very like uh, at a very young age when I think when I started first, I started my company and the first year, like my accountant came and told me, you're not making any money. And I was thinking like, what is he talking about? I just made a little bit of money. But... So he showed me like, you know, that uh, in the accounts, in the finances, I was not making money. I was losing. <laughs> I, was like, what? I was so surprised. And I mean, this was my first year of like business and my accountant is still, like telling me like, you're not making money. So then he said, okay, now let's look at it this way. And he juggled the Verticals in a way, and like you said, okay, now you're making money. So I said, wow, like, you know, I would have never thought of it myself as an individual thinking that I'm making money and he's telling you how to make money. So financial people are very immensely creative. Right, so, right, you know? sure. It's, it's creativity <laughs> and it's in different applications. Yeah, so everything. And I find, I see a gardener gardening, the way he waters the plants, the, amount, the pressure he puts on the nozzle, on the thumb, to which leaf should get how much water. It's an art. You know, it's like, I mean, everybody is doing their creativity practice in whichever way they can. Sometimes un- subconsciously, sometimes unconsciously. Sure. You know, some, sometimes consciously, but everybody's very creative. Right? I love it. The A stands for awareness. Mm-hmm. How do you stay self-aware without becoming self-critical? Your awareness is very important, you know, because it is the, I would say, your window of the world. Mm-hmm. And you have to be, it has to be open. You have to keep looking at it. The scenery is changing all the time. You know, it's like you're going in a train. There's never a static moment and the scenery is always changing. The same window, the scenery is always changing and you're coming to know the separate seasons, separate behaviors. So awareness is that. It is keeping your window of the mind open and always being looking out for things which actually 
sometimes might help you directly sometimes indirectly will help you but that awareness gives you the i would say right goals for your research so when you particularly set out something to do you know okay let me find this out first if i want to get into i don't know i want to start breeding flowers then like what is the soil of my garden or does it support this kind of flowers or not to that extent so it's like that's awareness you know so it is very intrinsic to whatever your plan is and i think with good amount of research you can make sure that you can like live your full life like you know stay aware yeah the m is mindfulness and there's so much noise in the world right now a lot of bad news a lot of chaos do you have a mindfulness practice how do you quiet your mind so i have mindfulness practice for years now like i meditate every day in the morning as soon as i get up like i have a meditation time so that's where i spend my quiet time and uh, even though it's very short but it's like i would say it gets my i would say mind balance for for the day to get through and then i have swimming and that's something which i love doing because that's something which uh, i can let my thoughts wander in a, <laughs> in a different like way where i can think about work also while i'm swimming you know that kind of thing but if you think about anything you want it just leaves you in a separate space that you're not taking any action against them but you can think about them unobjectively and you know and see as a separate perspective you know and then i do yoga so yoga is more to ensure that i'm able to like do good morning stretches get my i would say body centralized to order my thought processes so and i am a great believer in all three so swimming sometimes i might i miss because of whatever reasons but like my meditation my prayer time as well as my yoga is constant so and it's like part of my everyday life it's been it's beautiful and i i too am a huge believer in meditation the first p stands for passion can you be successful without being passionate Are there some people who have successful careers and they keep their passion as their hobby or must they merge? Uh see it can work of course having the passion for what one is doing is a great thing no doubt. It is like let's say it's the definition of success. If you're able to do what you love the most is the definition of success. And that's something which passion gives. So even though some people are able to find great amount of uh success or material success or success in their definitions and are still not able to pursue their passion i think there's always a vacuum they which is there which they fulfill by doing other things so let's say there's a great businessman i know and he's like trained film director he wanted to open he wanted to get into cinema but he comes from a lineage of a very industrial family so since he has to run the big such a big industrial house he could not pursue films so he opened a production house he opened a network just so that he could serve his passion and his, wow. in its own self also kept i would say the flames of passion going in it even though while making the bigger choices of doing something which the family business did so one always finds a way so everybody has a formula in which they will find a way to serve their passion Do you think you can find your passion? You were born I feel like loving cinema, loving the arts, loving entertainment. Am I wrong? Or you you were born with that or did you find no. that along the way? No, I actually I was born with it from day one like I mean I was like I remember when I went to see I mean at a very young age I went to see Ben-Hur and like you know and and I was a very little kid I was some 8 9 years old or something like that you know? and 
I came home, everybody was panicked because uh, they didn't know I had gone for a film and the film was three hours long. So they had thought I've got lost. And uh, they're like, you know, so, and finally when I came home, they were very happy that I came home, but I was getting a good shouting, you know, that, <laughs> Mom, you're nine years old. I mean, we did you drop off. And suddenly I realized uh, I can't hear these people. I was still in, involved in the film. Wow. I was still thinking, wow, what a film I've saw. And suddenly these, uh, what's coming out of these people's mouth? <laughs> <laughs> so my question to you is, you were one of the fortunate ones. You have built a, a phenomenal career out of the thing you love. Do you think people can find their passion? Do you think that you can stumble upon it or just... Because maybe, maybe there's some, some young adults out there who've entered the workforce and they're frustrated because they're not doing what they love, but they don't know what they want to love to do. Yes, you can find. I mean, it's just a self-discovery. It's about your self-discovery. And the moment you set aside, I would say, time for yourself, you will find it. It's not about like you can't find it. Every person is born creative, is born with the passions. There is something which always makes them tick. And if you've not spent time in looking for it, one can find it with self-discovery and it's totally doable. And sometimes you need help. You should take the help to discover it. Sometimes you do need. Sometimes mentors bring it out for you. Sometimes your parents like bring it out for you. Sometimes anybody can help you do it as long as you're willing to, I would say, reach out, take help because it's, you're not able to discover it for whatever reasons. We don't know. Sure. Maybe for multiple reasons like together or one reason, but you can take help and you can discover it. It's absolutely doable. The last piece stands for people. And my last question to you is, what is the single most important people skill a leader can have? See, you have to have empathy towards your fellow members and to the fellow community. This is like the key to like, I would say, biggest or whatever skill, because all the skills come under this, you know, your genuineness, your being truthful to like, say your entire community, to your workforce, to your life, to your life partners, to your home, family, everything. Because that's the true genuineness that you are feeling it from the heart and going forward keeps the other energies all on focus and on track. So even in difficult times, you don't have to worry. It's not like going to last, but you know that this is something that you have to do the right thing. So that it means this is the good for the community. It's good for the two team members, good for you. And it will be mostly the same. It won't be like, like different from anything else. And that's a very important the most important people skill I feel. And I, I look for it. that in, like, uh, in everybody, either from getting a new boss or even from getting, <laughs> you know, like, are, they, like, are they known for this or not? You, know, you do look for it. Rajiv, I cannot thank you enough for your time. It was wonderful catching back up with you and thank you so much for joining me. Great pleasure, John. Wonderful having a chat with you like this. Really, I wish you all the best and happy to chat up again whenever you want. You let me know. My name's John Ziegler. This is The Entrepreneur. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, or questions, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at Setup Camp with two Ps on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.